Turn, if you would, this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you will be there for us when we need you and that you are uh, never far away. We're thankful, Lord, for, again, that promise. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that we would have no distractions this morning, that we would be able to give attention to exactly what is said. And Lord, I pray that this would be help to someone here today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind us of what the last couple of messages have dealt with on Sunday mornings because of how all of this is a part of a single thought of the Apostle Paul. I want to remind us that it was a few weeks ago that we watched as Paul explain this truth to the believers of Ephesus, that they were involved in a spiritual battle. They were involved in spiritual warfare. And I know that may seem a bit redundant for me to keep mentioning this, but I'm going to anyways. I want to remind us that every one of us are involved in spiritual warfare. Every one of us are involved in a spiritual battle. It's something that escapes no one. If we are saved, we are involved in a spiritual battle. And the Apostle Paul made this clear that we cannot stand and we cannot be victorious in this battle in our own strength and in our own might, we have to have the strength and the might of the Lord in our lives. And so he said to them, and he would say to us, that we need to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God. We need to be suited up in a spiritual sense if we're going to stand, if we're going to be victorious. And so in the first two messages in dealing with the armor, we looked at this, where Paul said that we have to have our loins girt about with truth. So I tried to remind us that if we are going to be victorious in this spiritual battle, we must know truth. We must know the Word of God. And if we don't have a relationship with the Word of God, we don't stand a chance of being victorious in this battle. We have to be men and women and young people of the Word. And then last week, we went on to read the next part of the verse, and he said, "...and having on the breastplate of righteousness..." which is simply meaning this, you and I have to have a desire to do what is right. That is what has to consume us. That is what has to drive us. And though it would be easy to assume that everyone sitting in church cares about righteousness, that simply is not the case. There are many people who sit in church and righteousness or doing right is not their concern. It is not their objective. And if doing right is not what we're consumed with, we will not be victorious in this battle. So those were the first two things that we've talked about, that we've dealt with. This morning, we're going to move on and look at verse number 15. But before we get there, I'd like us to consider an, uh, an important truth. I'd like us to consider something that most of us know. I'd like us to think about this truth, that when there is an enemy or an opponent present, a familiar tactic, a common tactic of the enemy, of that opponent, is to try to get into the mind of their enemy. Can we hear this? When there is an enemy, when there is an adversary, when there is an opponent... One of the tactics that is common, one of the tactics that is often used, is to try to get into the mind of the other person for the purpose of intimidation or control. You see this present in athletics on a regular basis. 
You try to get into the mind of your opponent. You try to get into the mind of your enemy. Because if you can do that in the realm of athletics, you can intimidate them and oftentimes you can control them. We all know this, that many times a bully is only a bully, not in the realm of their actual physical abilities, but because they have gotten into the mind of other people, they are able to intimidate them and control them. We see this in our own government, do we not? We have watched our people as a nation be controlled by what is happening in the mind. It's not based on true action. It's not based on on true issues. It's more an issue of the mind. And so governments are even able to control people and intimidate them simply by getting into their minds. I'm just trying to show us that wherever there is an enemy, an opponent, an adversary, one of the common tactics is this. Try to get in their head to intimidate, to control. So what do we have to learn from the earliest stage possible? We have to learn this. Don't let it happen. Don't let them get in your head. Don't let them occupy your mind. Don't let it happen. Sometimes easier said than done, though. You and I all know, don't give them free rent up there. But it happens. So it can be difficult to not let that take place. So as you hold on to that, I want us to, to, to think about this, and, and, and we'll get back to that in a couple of moments. But this morning as we get into the message, I just want to say this up front, that this is a personal message for me. Okay, this is a personal message for me, and I know it may not be for you. You may leave here this morning and say, didn't need it. I understand that. That's fine. But I do know this, and I've probably said this in the past, that this is one of those subjects that doesn't get a lot of conversation in a church because it's one of those things that people don't want to admit. All right? It's one of those things that people don't want to admit. So you might be surprised how many people could be helped by this, They're just never going to talk about it. But this morning, I'm going to try to talk about it and and deal with this in a way that can be helpful if this is ever or is still an issue with you. So notice what it says in verse number 15. Paul said in relation to the armor, he said, you need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He said, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, we're not going to look at every word in this verse, but we're going to look at what I view to be the the key words in this verse. So I want to begin this morning by talking about the gospel, because obviously Paul referenced the gospel, did he not? So if Paul is going to reference the gospel, then I need to reference the gospel if we're going to deal with this verse. So, So what is the gospel? If somebody were to walk up to you and say, all right, give me a definition of the gospel, I think here's what many of us know, is that oftentimes the gospel has been summarized as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is certainly an element of the gospel. But let's be honest, if you don't know more of the context... You don't know why the gospel even had to take place. If somebody just came up and said, I want to share with you the gospel, and they said, okay, share with me the gospel, and they said, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they would rightly be able to say, and what does that have to do with anything? 
So what is the broader version of the gospel? Well, the broader version of the gospel is this, is that every man, woman, and child who has ever walked on this earth outside of Christ was born and continues to be a sinner. That is a key part of the gospel. If we're going to consider the gospel, we have to take into consideration this fact that every person who has walked on this earth is by nature a sinner, has always been a sinner, and will always be a sinner. It does not change. So long as we're on this earth, sin is something that is going to plague every one of us. If we're going to consider the broader picture of the gospel, not only do we have to consider the fact that we are all sinners, we have to admit this, that our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. If we're going to consider a biblical definition and a biblical account of the gospel, we have to admit that the sins of man, the sins of women and children, it separates us from a holy God And there is nothing that we in and of ourselves can do to fix it. Let's hear this, please. There is nothing that we can do to fix this sin issue and our separation from God. We cannot be good enough. We cannot be righteous enough. We cannot do this on our own. So the scripture says there is only one way in which we can be saved, and that is through the work of Jesus Christ and us placing our faith in him. We have to believe that Jesus Christ did come to this earth a little over 2,000 years ago as the perfect sacrifice. He gave himself for the sins of mankind. He He was crucified on the cross, which produced his death. And yes, he was buried, but praise the Lord, three days later, he was victorious over death and he came forth from the grave. And the scripture teaches us now that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the gospel is not just the death, burial, and resurrection, though key parts of it, no doubt. When Paul speaks of the gospel, he knew that we're all sinners. He made that very clear in the book of Romans. He knew we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. And the only way that we can be saved is by placing our faith in the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. I am the way, Christ said, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he spoke of the gospel in verse number 15, Paul did, and he said it is the gospel of peace. It is the gospel of peace. What does it mean when Paul speaks of peace? Well, here's what peace means, and most of us know this. It means tranquility. It means to be at rest or to have a sense of calm. It also means this, to experience or to know safety and security. So here is the gospel, and here is what Paul said the gospel produces. It produces peace. The gospel, when accepted, the message of the gospel, when believed and applied in a person's life, here is what it will always produce. It will always produce peace. Peace. 
It will produce tranquility. It will produce a rest. It will produce a sense of calm and safety and security. Now, again, if a person is not familiar with the gospel and the work and what it accomplishes, someone may say, how does the gospel translate itself into a gospel of peace? Well, let's think about this. We've all heard, or at least most of us have heard, people say things like this, that before salvation, their life was a mess. Before salvation, their life was a wreck. Before salvation, their life was in turmoil. Before salvation, they really didn't have a peace and a calm about themselves. But when they surrendered their life to Christ in salvation, a sense of peace and calm and tranquility and safety and security came over them. We've all heard people say things like this. Well, as a result of my salvation, which is just accepting the gospel for what it is, they've said, as a result of my salvation, I no longer fear for the future. I no longer fear the subject of death. I no longer fear what's going to happen when I breathe my last breath on this earth. No, as a result of my salvation, as a result of uh, of accepting the gospel as the scripture declares it, I am at peace for when I leave this world. And that is a wonderful testimony to take place or to have, is it not? It certainly is. But we've got to know something. We've got to know this, that Satan never delights in the salvation of a soul. Satan never ever delights in the salvation of an individual. So if a child gets saved, Satan doesn't rejoice in that. And if an adult gets saved, Satan does not rejoice in that. No, there is never a time in which Satan rejoices in someone placing their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as a result of that, we've got to know this, and it goes back to the fact that we are involved in a spiritual battle We've got to know that when a person is saved, Satan, though he has lost the ultimate battle, he is still going to do whatever he can to defeat that individual. He is, as the scripture says, as Peter declared, he is our adversary. And as our adversary... What is Satan going to try to do at some point in our lives? He is trying to get, he is going to try to get into our minds. We need to hear this, that Satan is going to try to get into our minds. For what reason? Because much of the spiritual battles that we face and deal with and struggle with They are issues of the mind. Now, obviously, that struggle can be found in so many different ways. What one person may wrestle with here, another person may not wrestle with here. What one person deals with by way of the mind and the the struggle here, another person may say, that is not an issue for me at all. I get it. I understand it. We should all recognize that. So here again, not everyone will identify with what I'm about to say, but how many of us have ever heard someone say this, I have wrestled with an assurance of my salvation. 
You ever heard people say something like that? I have for the last however many months or the last many years, I have wrestled with an assurance of my salvation. Now, I've heard some people say that Satan would never mess with a, pe- with a person's mind in that fashion. Now, friends, I want you to know that's absolutely not true. Why is that absolutely not true? It is true for this reason. If Satan can get into the mind of a person as it relates to the subject of salvation, here's what it can do is it can make that person lose the peace of their salvation and make them miserable. When a person lacks assurance of their salvation, when a person is wrestling with whether or not they're truly saved, they lose the peace of the gospel that they would otherwise know, and Satan delights in making people miserable. How does he cast doubt in the mind of an individual? Well, he would say things like this. You were young and didn't really know what you were doing at the time. So because you were young and didn't really know what you were doing, you're not really saved. Or he might say things like this. You can't be saved. You couldn't possibly be saved and do what you have done in the past. And and, and then it becomes this whole idea of wrestling. and, And what about this? And what about this? And I've got this to consider. And I've got this to deal with. And there are all these thoughts that run through a person's mind that causes them to struggle. If you were saved, would God allow this to happen? If you were saved, would this have taken place? Listen, kids. It, it, listen, listen, God or, or Satan rather would say things like this. You can't be saved and these things happen in your life. Satan wants to make people miserable. And if he can do so by getting them to question their salvation, he is more than happy to do it. So in this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, for those who may wrestle with this, this is where the rest of the verse comes into play here. See, in verse number 15, he said, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, again, this is where it's personal because if I'm honest, I got to tell you that I've wrestled at times with my own assurance. Somebody says you shouldn't admit it. Right. I should lie about it. Right. Right. Yeah, I should lie and say, no, I've never done that way, and I don't know what you're talking about. No, no. So this is where it's very personal for me and where I hope it can be a help to, to some of you. He said in verse number 15, your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right, so what is preparation talking about? Well, the word preparation means this, to, to be ready or the sense of readiness. To be ready or the sense of readiness. Now, here's what some people think. They think that the Apostle Paul was saying this, that in this spiritual battle, that in this spiritual warfare that we're involved in, we need to be ready to give the gospel of peace. Well, that's true, is it not, that we need to be ready to give the gospel of peace? If someone is in need of salvation, we need to be ready and we need to be equipped. Let me say this, every one of us need to know how to lead someone to Jesus Christ from a biblical standpoint. If somebody were to sit here and say, I just wouldn't be comfortable trying to lead someone to the Lord. I just wouldn't be able to do that on my own. How long have you been saved? 
You ought to be able to walk someone through the Scripture and show them this is what the Word of God says, how to be saved. But as much as that is true of us, that we need to be able to show someone from the Scripture how to be saved, I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about here because he is saying this is a personal battle that every one of us face, the spiritual warfare. You've got to know the truth and you've got to be consumed with doing right, but you have also got to be prepared with the gospel or have the gospel of peace on you, this readiness associated with it. What does that mean? It means this, that whenever Satan begins to attack the mind, you're ready. Whenever Satan begins to put those doubts in your mind, when Satan begins to to put those questions in your mind, you're ready for it. Because you're not going to let him get up there and start messing with your mind about what you know you're ready for it. Satan comes to the person, he comes to to someone like myself, and he says, you were young. You're not really saved. You know what I've got to be ready for? I've got to be ready for that with an answer. Satan, you're right, I was young when I got saved. Let's hear this, you're right, I, I was young when I got saved. But I know when it happened. I know where it happened. I know what I said, and I know what I meant. So I may have been young, but Satan, you're not going to get in my head anymore. It is a gospel of peace. It is a gospel of calm. It is a gospel of tranquility. And I'm not going to let you take that from me and cause me to lose the spiritual battle. I'm going to be ready for it, and I'm not going to let you into my mind. When Satan says something like this, you couldn't possibly be saved having committed that sin afterwards. You're ready for it. You're ready to say, no, listen, that was a sin and that was a failure and that was me missing the mark. But I am still under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to let you attack me, Satan. I'm not going to let you control my mind. I will not let you control me and make me miserable with with your lies. See, in order to win this spiritual battle, we've got to know, as I said last week, we've got to know that we're saved. And if in the midst of this spiritual battle, Satan tries to make us question and Satan tries to make us doubt, we need to be ready to combat that and say, no, sir, no. And you may not know the exact date. You may not know the exact moment that it happened. But if you know, and you should know approximately, all right, I I would say that, you should know within a general ballpark as to when you got saved. But if you know that you've done business with God as it relates to your sin in relation to everything the scripture says about the need of salvation, then when Satan attacks, you need to be ready and be able to give him an answer. If we want to be victorious in this battle, we cannot let Satan get to us in the mind where he manipulates, where he controls, he intimidates, and makes miserable. So there may be some this morning, and you'd have to admit, you know, Brother Kyle, I'm I'm similar to you. I've had those times where I've wrestled. I've had those times where I've had the doubt. And, And I've got those moments, and you're right, I just need to go back to them And I need to remind Satan when I got saved. 
But some of you may be sitting here this morning and you may say something like this. I think the things that I'm wrestling with and the things that I'm struggling with are of a completely different nature. Because it is possible that some in here in the room this morning, you've never placed your faith in Christ and you don't know of the time that you got saved. You can't look back to that moment where you know you did business with God as it relates to your sin, calling upon Christ to save you. I want you to understand, if that's what you're dealing with, if that's what you're wrestling with in your heart and mind, that's not Satan trying to mess you up. That's the Holy Spirit trying to speak to you, saying you need to be saved. And so this morning, it goes back again to what I said last week and what I've even touched on this morning. The spiritual battle doesn't even really begin until you've been saved. And if you don't know when you called upon Christ and asked him to save you, your greatest need right now, more than anything else, is to say, Lord, I need to be saved. And I'm asking you to save me today, this moment. So obviously, I don't know what any of us need. You may again leave here and say, I was saved 30 years ago, and I've never doubted it for a moment. God bless you. Just admit you've got your own struggles to deal with. And you may leave here this morning, and you may say, man, I know what it's like to wrestle with it. Be ready. The next time Satan tries to put those doubts in your mind, be ready and remind him when you got saved and remind him where he can go. Go bother someone else because it's not going to work on me anymore. But if you've never placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone, today you need to be saved. Nothing else matters more than that. Let's all stand this morning for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, you know the hearts of every person. Only you and we, the individual, know how you're speaking to our hearts. Maybe some need assurance. Maybe some just need to stop letting Satan mess with the mind. Lord, some may need to be saved today. I don't know, but whatever needs to happen, whatever needs to take place, I pray that it be accomplished this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.